Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What is up, everybody? Merry Christmas. I'd say Happy New Year, but I'll probably have another podcast out by New Year. But, you know, if you're busy, hungover, whatever, don't listen till then. Happy New Year. I hope everything was good for Christmas. The only cool stuff I got, I got myself. Just kidding, Mom, if if you're listening. Uh, She got me some books and some clothes. So, you know, Christmas, the older you get, becomes a little more mellow. And more about drinking, you know, and sitting there and watching the Warriors get killed by the by the Lake Show with a hurt LeBron James. Uh, no football on Christmas. I, I don't really know what the hell was going on there. Like, listen, I, I like I like the NBA a lot, uh, but you know there were a couple games probably not needed. G- give me three sweet NBA games, and then I mean, what happened to like the Hawaii Bowl? You couldn't give me a bowl game on Christmas. I I, I don't need you know an NFL game or anything. Just just give me. A bowl game. Just give me a little football. Uh, and they didn't. But I'm going to dive into some college thoughts because, to me, that's the the big takeaway this weekend. I mean, it's college football playoffs. And we got we have one winner get-in game uh, in the Sunday night game with the Colts playing the Titans. And then, you know, the, the main storyline, though, and the thing that I see this weekend, and, and listen, we've all, you know, broken up with a girl or if you're a girl listening, I think my listeners are mainly male. But, you know, you root for that significant other to not do well, especially if she dumps you. You want her to do worse. I, You know, I've never worked as a salesperson in a job. I have had a radio show and where you're judged on metrics. 
and I rooted for the other shows to not do as well as mine. It's just it's just human nature if you're competitive. Even if you work for the same company, you root for yourself to do better than the other person. Like, the only person who truly cares about you is always going to be you. It becomes a little more complicated in a team environment, but I do think there are a lot of similarities. You know, if you play a position where only one person can be on the field, you want to do better than the other people at your position, even if they're on your own team. Again, human nature. You can say you'd be a great teammate and you can support, and again, you can be a good guy and still think that. But if I was Carson Wentz this weekend, now the Eagles do not control their own destiny. They need the Minnesota Vikings to lose to the Chicago Bears. And depending on how the Rams game is going, let's say the Rams are blowing them out, the Bears might just call the dogs and just let Minnesota win. Call off the dogs. Uh, not if you want to call the dogs. I was around my dogs this weekend. They usually come when you bring food. But call off the dogs, pull their starters, and just whatever. But let's say Minnesota loses the game. And the Philadelphia is win or get in. Carson Wentz can say all he wants. And everyone, knowing people with the Eagles, high character guy. And I don't think... Even, you know, everything he said, I do think he believes. Like, I wanted Nick to do well in the playoffs. I wanted Nick to do well in the Super Bowl. But I I do think it's past the law of diminishing returns if I was him. Put yourself in his shoes. If he's not going anywhere, they are not going to trade him. Unless Foles were to, like, win another Super Bowl. Which, again, if they were to get into the playoffs and he rattled off four straight wins, three road games, a six seed, and then won the Super Bowl... It would be one of the great two-year stretches we've seen in sports history. That would be undeniable. But I do think Carson Wentz, there is going to be part of him, and he wouldn't be a human if this part wasn't, where he wouldn't mind seeing Foles fail. Like, they already won the Super Bowl last year. Again, he's not involved in this. And it's not, I don't think it would even be malicious if you were like, you know, deep down, I wouldn't mind if he just had a three-pick game. I'm tired of this narrative and this this kind of cloud of because it it reflects on him poorly. And I think Carson Wentz, beside probably luck, is just one of the more God-given talents, and I guess Mahomes now too, than the truly great God-given talents we've seen in a long, long time. But as I talked about in the last podcast, like there's a legit red flag. Like Mariota, we think he's going to play, and I hope he plays Sunday because I don't want to watch Sunday night with a winner-get-in situation. And the reality is if Houston, the Houston Texans were to lose, they, they're already in the playoffs, but one of those two teams could still win the division. But I want to watch Mariota play in that game, not, not Blaine Gabbert. But here's what I know about Blaine Gabbert and Carson Wentz. They're both injury prone. But here's the other thing I know. Carson Wentz upside as a player is, is just way higher. He, he's just on a different level physically. They're not in the same conversation. But with Carson Wentz, if the Eagles and, and Nick Foles plays well and Minnesota loses, they'd be going for the playoffs for the second straight year with no Carson Wentz. Now, last year, obviously, he played a huge role in getting them in position to make a run. But this year, not really. You know, he did not play that well. Foles won the first game. Foles won this game last weekend that was really big and really played well. Actually, he's won, what, the last two games. One against the Texans, the other one in L.A. If he were to win this weekend, I listen, and they were to make the playoffs, just that alone, if I was a fan and I put myself just John Middlecoff living in South Philly, I would, even if I had common sense and I went, God, Carson Wentz is great, but 
I mean, do we got a problem here? Because it, it would be inarguable that something weird, there, there would be a vibe in that city that before was 100% Carson was our guy. Even when Nick Foles won the Super Bowl, it was like, caught lightning in a bottle with Nick Foles. We originally drafted him. His career got derailed. Incredible story. Franchise had never had a Super Bowl. It was bound to happen. And the football gods touched us from afar. They touched us from afar. But this time is like not as much football gaudy, more like what the hell is going on here? And again, Carson Wentz would not be a human. I'm not saying he wants to see his guy be out of the league next year, but I don't think he would mind at all to see just a three-pick game and just see the season end. Get himself healthy and then come back next year. Again, that sounds malicious. That sounds terrible. But we're all humans. And if Nick Foles wins this game and then hell, let's say he were to like upset the Bears in the first round of the playoffs, like th- th- that would be a terrible look for Carson Wentz. There is no way around it. An injury-prone player who, when the backup comes in in big games, wins them. And especially this year, they were not winning big games, mainly because their offense wasn't working, mainly because the quarterback was very hit or miss. Like Foles comes in and they're just an explosive offense. Again, I, I wish this stuff wasn't true because I like Carson Wentz. I want to watch him play. But I know this if I'm Carson Wentz. I'm kind of rooting for Nick Foles to not play that well this weekend. How about the college football playoffs? I, I think, you know, everyone would agree, a, any football fan, that the college football playoffs, I love the bowl games. I mean, I, I was a West Coast guy. Uh, loved the Rose Bowl. Been to a couple games of the Rose Bowl. Just a very cool place. When I worked at Fresno State, we actually played UCLA. Beat them down there when Rick Neuheisel was the coach. Ryan Matthews just had a fantastic game, uh, former first rounder. But, you know, it's just that's a great bowl game. And I remember when Oregon played Jameis in the Final Four a couple years ago, that, that added, made the Rose Bowl like 10 times better. But the, the Final Four is just cooler than the regular bowl games. It matters more. Truly, there are two bowl games that matter. Two bowl games that matter, actually, three total. The two Final Four games and then the Natty, uh, which I hope I might be going to. But when you look this year, let's start with the first game. I do believe that perception is often reality. When we all work in, in different industries and have you know, certain people that may have a perception of just being an asshole. For the most part, I, I've never known, multi- I work in the media, when someone tells you about an individual and then you hear it from another person and they both say, you know what? Guy's just an a-hole. How often is that wrong? Now, you may meet the person and have a decent relationship with them, but if you've heard from like seven people that that guy's a bad guy, typically it's right. You know, it's not... I, I think for the most part in life, perception is reality. And the perception on Notre Dame, and rightfully so, is that they're not quite as good as the top teams. And we have somewhat recent evidence, I guess it was in 2012 or it would have been the 2013, uh, January 2013, when they played Alabama. We saw it, and it was a bloodbath. Now, I will say this for Notre Dame. I do think they've shaken the perception of not being an elite program these last couple years. Look at the players they've been getting, from Will Fuller to Jalen Smith to McGlinchey to Quentin Nelson. Like, they've been producing dudes They've really elevated themselves. And I think Brian Kelly, who's a really good coach, took, you know, was pretty introspective as a program after they got worked by Bama. 
and knew that they had to change. They had to become more physical. They did. Their offensive lines have been excellent. They can run the ball down your throat. And defensively, they've been really good the last couple years. Definitely this year. But I still would say the perception, and I know where I stand, is I don't think they belong on the same field with these other three teams. I think Georgia's better. I would say LSU would be better. Hell, I might take you the fighting Danny White UCF program if Mackenzie Milton had not torn his knee. That might be a little bit of a stretch, but I do think UCF probably hang with Notre Dame. But I might be wrong. I like Clemson huge. We'll get into the second game here in a second. But Clemson, I like them to destroy Notre Dame. You know why? Because that perception of them just not, like that perception of that Alabama game that we actually saw that was reality has never left my mind. And even when I've watched Notre Dame these last couple years, and I think they're solid. I think they're good. Like I've been impressed. I still don't know. And I still have my questions. Well, even though one of Clemson's star defensive linemen has been suspended for some, I wanted to say steroid, but a substance that I can't even pronounce and that Dabo said you can get from hair products. It doesn't matter. Because as Dabo said, his backup is a pro. And his other three defensive linemen are pros. And the true freshman pass rusher is a future pro. And the entire offense for Clemson are pros. And their freshman quarterback is a future pro. And Dabo could be an NFL coach and be a pro if he chose to leave. Uh, might not be a better college coach now that Urban has retired than Saban than Dabo. So you're getting a program that is basically just Alabama in South Carolina. You know, that's basically what it is. Dabo actually went to Alabama. He thinks like Alabama. Their program runs like Alabama. Hell, their players even look like Alabama players. So the 12 and a half line has kind of gone back and forth between 12, 12 and a half. Like, the other game's line's a little bigger. I think it's going to be a little closer. This game, I don't know. I don't think at the end of the day, and I hope I'm wrong. I'd love to see a good game. I wouldn't even mind seeing Notre Dame win. I don't think they're going to belong on the same field as them. I don't think they have the horses. I don't think they have the speed. And they've improved. They clearly are more physical. They clearly had a mindset to be built for this. But when you're playing the defensive lineman that this team is about to roll out there, six, seven future pros, like I understand that the offensive linemen that they replaced McGlinchey and Quentin Nelson with are probably good. But those two guys are like all rookie performers. So I don't know. I know that what my perception is, and I know that I don't think Notre Dame's going to belong in this game. Okay, the other game, which is really the marquee matchup, because even though the line is bigger, 14 points, uh, it it does feel like it's got a chance to be the more explosive game. I mean, the two front runners for the Heisman, Tua, Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray said this week, or I guess, you know, I guess he said on Thursday, if you're listening, it's Friday, that, you know, he has not by any means dismissed the chances of going pro in football. I think at the end of the day, I mean, depending on really how Saturday looks, football's probably going to happen. Uh, I think he'll end up at the combine. But my takeaway on this game is pretty simple. First off, if you're gambling, which I will be, I'm going to be taking Oklahoma in the points. One, not necessarily think that Oklahoma's going to win, even though you get pretty good money line odds if you want to throw a little cash on there, that I do believe that Oklahoma has something very unique, and that's the quarterback. He can run. 
he can throw, I mean, it's this is pretty elementary scouting report here, at an elite level, do all these things. Like, you can't catch the guy. You know who he's probably a better, co- I mean, just talking college, in just a scarier version of what this guy was in college? Deshaun Watson two years ago. And who did that guy beat in the national championship? Alabama. And who did that guy go toe-to-toe with the year before? Alabama. I think Coward always says, the, the, the guy that gives Alabama trouble is not the pocket quarterback. Saban eats them alive. Whenever he'd face Mettenberger, you know, or what was the Arkansas, one of the, any of the stiffs from, uh, you, you know, from the SEC that were pocket quarterbacks, he'd kill, he'd eat alive. It's the, it's the guys that can get outside the pocket, the Johnny Manziels, the Deshaun Watsons that give him trouble. He also has great help. Hollywood Brown, elite player. CeeDee Lamb, elite player. Their offensive line is really good. They're running backs. I mean, it's freaking Oklahoma, so they're good. But Kyler Murray is just special. And I think he has a chance if this goes as I think it's going to go. And I expect him to play well. Like, imagine if, win or lose, he has four, throws for four touchdowns and runs for another. Like, again, I get he's short. But he's a better prospect, beside his height, coming out than Lamar Jackson. He throws the ball much better. He's a much more natural passer. Accuracy, again, just comes more natural to the guy. Now, I don't necessarily mean like he probably worked to become a natural passer. I also think this. He hadn't really played. Like, he played a little bit as a true freshman to Texas A&M. You know, rotated out with Kyle Allen or whatever. Then transferred. Then last year sat behind Baker Mayfield, and they were really good. They went to the, you know, to the Rose Bowl and played Georgia in that game, which was one of the better playoff games of recent memory. But he was a backup. And then he played baseball in the spring, and then he got drafted really high, and it was cool. And then he became the starting quarterback at Oklahoma. Well, they knew he was a starting quarterback. But then he started playing games as a starting quarterback at Oklahoma. And listen... For as great as baseball is, and even as cool as the draft moment was, he never sniffed the adulation from the common guy on campus until he started throwing touchdown passes. And then he won the freaking Heisman and led this team back to the playoffs. He became infinitely more famous playing football in a six-month span or a four-month span or whatever, the college football season, than he ever did when he was becoming like Baseball America top 30 player. Then he was drafted. Then he takes BP for a playoff team. The A's were good. The A's are good. They're stacked. They should be a 95-plus win team again next year. Difference in baseball, like your your picks usually don't enter the squad for a while. But I also think Kyler Murray's thinking, well, I played with Baker Mayfield, and I would imagine, again, he's competitive. He's thinking, even if he thinks, like, I might not be quite as good as Baker Mayfield, but I'm damn close. And let's say this hypothetical. He's boys with Baker Mayfield. He calls Baker up and goes, God, what do you think I should do? You think I can you think I can play in the NFL? Baker's like, hell yeah, you can play in the NFL. Have you seen Baker tweet during the season about Kyler Murray? He got offended when it was like Lincoln Riley in a good way. And he's defended Kyler Murray like, this dude is a baller. And anyone with that program knew this guy was a baller. Now the knock is he's a midget. And listen, I personally hate midgets. I want a team full of enormous dudes. Like, I'll take the occasional Khalil Mack. He, and excuse me, not Khalil Mack, but Aaron Donald, Russell Wilson. Like, short guys in the NFL are outliers. Big players dominate 
at quarterback, at defensive line, at wide receiver. You midgets typically do not. Again, I I will take out. I'll take a Deshaun Jackson. I will take a Russell Wilson. But those are not the norm. I'm watching Kyler Murray, and I think the way the game's changed. And again, I expect him to play well against Alabama. I think there's a chance he's an outlier. And I think there's a good chance that he would be a first-round pick. Now, if you tell me that he takes his shoes off and he goes to the combine and he measures in at 5'8 and a half, would I say he'd be a first-round pick? Probably not. I wouldn't quite feel as good about it. But if you tell me he's 5'10, and there's a chance that he's not 5'10, but let's just assume he's 5'10, I think he'd go in the first round. Hell, I think he'd go in the top 20 picks. Now, what would you rather be? A top 20 pick, and let's say the Miami Dolphins take you. You're the starting, week one, you're the starting quarterback for the Miami Dolphins against the New England Patriots. Would you, for double the amount of money you'd make playing baseball? Or would you rather go ride the bus in podunk, middle of nowhere, Texas for the A's, you know, rookie fall ball team? I think the decision's pretty easy. And I think he's realized, like, God, when you're a quarterback, you're just treated differently. You know, to be a famous baseball player, you got to get to the show. I mean, the nerds know who's playing in the minor leagues. Most people don't. Everyone knows who the starting quarterbacks are. Everyone. And Kyler Murray, think how famous he became just this year by being the starting quarterback at Oklahoma. Now it was helped that ton of pro- buzz for the program. They just had Baker Mayfield. But I think the Baker Mayfield thing is going to help him decide that, like, I can do this. I just practice every day with Baker Mayfield. There's a decent chance. I don't know Kyle. I've never talked to Kyle Murray. That he thinks in his mind, and I would say any competitor worth their salt, always believes in themselves more than their, you know, other guys that they've competed against. Even if deep down they're not better. You know, just it's what makes great competitors. They're, they're a little in denial sometimes about their own talent, especially when they're young. That's what drives you to greatness. You, you, you're sometimes the only one that truly believes that your ceiling is higher than anyone else has ever told you. And maybe, maybe a coach is the only guy that's ever told you how high he thinks you'd get. Most people, if you go, I'd be a starting quarterback in the NFL, call it what it is. Most people are negative. Most people say, what, are you crazy? Too short. Uh, he can't play in the NFL. He'll, he'll get killed. That's not how these guys think, and they shouldn't think like that. You should never, don't ever let anyone, and again, I'm not Tony Robbins here, but tell you what, you know, you are. You determine that. Now, you have to have some common sense, and I would say 20 years ago, it'd be a no-brainer. Like, Kyler, you're probably better off playing baseball unless you want to play a different position because that's the way the NFL thought. But in 2019, too many forward thinkers, too many progressive thinkers, the rules have just changed. You can't hit the quarterback. You can't hit the wide receivers. I do think the NFL in 2019 is more equipped and more ready and more just prepared schematically ever in the history of the league to handle for Kyler Murray to be a starting quarterback week one in the NFL. I think it's possible. I don't know if he's going to choose it. I don't know. I don't think he's a lock to go in the first round. But I would feel it's well above 50%. And if you tell me that he goes to the combine, I'd have two things I'd tell Kyler Murray. You don't need to throw or anything if you don't want to. But I would highly recommend running. You get measured. You get weighed in. I don't care what else. You don't have to do any other drills. Uh, But if you jump high, you might as well jump. You know, if you run fast, run. 
because you know what it does to that combine room, to the Tom Coughlins, to the Bill Belichicks, to the Howie Rosemans, to the John Lynches, to John Gruden, to Pete Carroll. They light up like a Christmas tree when they look down at their watch and they see 438 or they see 441. It probably cost Lamar Jackson several draft spots that he didn't go there, double middle fingers, and just run like a 4-3-2. Instead, the Twitter world had talked him and his mom into like, don't do what they want you to do. We're anti-power. We are anti-establishment. No, when you're fast, run. You know, it's like if you can sell, be a salesman. If, if, if you're good with tech, be an engineer. Like, do what you're good at. And if I'm Kyler Murray, I go to that combine and I run like the freaking wind. And I'll promise you, if he runs a 4-3-8 and his tape speaks for itself and plays well against Alabama, that over 50% first rounder, hell, that, that might be 95% first rounder. Uh, I'm going Clemson. I'm going Clemson big. I, I like them to cover that number. I like them to win this game by 20. And my logic here on the Bama game, listen, I'll be the first to tell you, I don't even know if Oklahoma, as crazy as it sounds, deserves to be here. I, I think Georgia's better. I mean, they beat them last year. Uh, they went just went toe-to-toe with Alabama. I just think they're more equipped to play Georgia, or excuse me, to play Alabama, to play Clemson. Like, I, It's hard for me to take Oklahoma that seriously to win the whole thing when their defense is as big of a joke as it's really been for the last now like two or three years. But, I mean, they were historically poor. They're the worst defense for any of the 20-plus teams that have been the college football playoffs since they've started this thing. But I do think this. I'm taking Oklahoma in the points. And the logic I'm looking at, I, I could see it being like 50-30, to 30, you know, going into the fourth quarter, and then Alabama just kind of cruise controlling a little bit. Kyler throwing a couple garbage touchdowns down the stretch and then winning like, you know, 56 to 44. You know, I, I just, I, I would not take 14 points against this Oklahoma defense. Now, I, I, I do think it would be a bigger upset. This is weird to say. If Notre Dame beat Clemson, then if Alabama were to lose to Oklahoma, even though I'm not sure Oklahoma is that good because of their defense, just because Oklahoma's offense is just historically great. Like, Notre Dame doesn't do anything historically great. They're just a solid team. Well, Clemson's a really good team, and they just have been dominating for the last, like, four years with a lot of the dudes that are on this team. And I don't want to say this guy's better than Deshaun Watson uh, because Deshaun, I mean, he's a national champion, and he's dominating the NFL. So I'm not even going to go there. But this kid's a baller. Trevor Lawrence, if you haven't really watched him, and you know if you're listening out on the West Coast, you probably don't watch that much clubs in football. This dude's got long hair and just throws dimes. Baller. Uh, I, I really think that Clemson has a very, very good shot to win the whole thing. Uh, I, you know, I just... Tua just hasn't played in that many tight games. I mean, the tightest game he really ever played in was, beside the Georgia game when he got knocked out, was last year in the Georgia game when he came in in the second half. So now Alabama is as good as it comes or just gets really in my lifetime any sport that when shit hits the fan, they are unfaced. Uh, Saban just, I mean, they're a powerhouse for a reason because when the going gets tough, they just find a way to get it done. 
But this is going to be hard, man, to beat Kyler Murray, to beat Lincoln Riley, and then to probably beat Clemson. They'll have they'll have earned it, but I can't wait. So I'm going Clemson minus 12 and a half, and I'm taking Bama. Uh, excuse me, I'm taking Bama to not cover. I, I like Oklahoma and the 14 points, and I personally hope Kyler just goes nuts. Okay, let's get into the Middlecoff mailbag. You can always slide up into my DMs at John Middlecoff. That's the Instagram. Uh, and then I answer your questions here. Good afternoon. John from Ireland. Okay, international listener. I've been following the idea of removing quarterbacks from the salary cap. I think we had a similar question to this a week or two ago. I believe this may further skew the quarterback salaries. They may spiral out of control and may start rewarding some average quarterback play. Do you think that accrediting a percentage of the quarterback salary into the cap, say 50%, so I think with this idea, if you're paying to do $30 million, you only get hit for $15 million on your salary cap. That way, the franchise still needs to be held accountable, but it would not have to eat the full amount and allow other players to get theirs. Interesting question. I, I definitely think in the new CBA, there are going to be conversations regarding quarterbacks and how the accounting works for their salary. Because even with the growing salary cap, you know, it's it's scheduled to be above $190 million. It's pretty clear the disadvantages and advantage. I mean, the big advantage right now in the league, right, is if you can build your team up with a quarterback on a rookie salary cap. If you can go Russell Wilson. Hell, the Cowboys have been able to do it a little bit with Dak Prescott. You know, the Rams are doing it with Jared Goff. The, the Browns are going to attempt to do it with Baker Mayfield. Where the 49ers, for example, you know, didn't really have that luxury once they got Jimmy. They, they had to pay him right away. Uh, now, the Patriots had the luxury of having Jimmy Garoppolo as a backup for a while. The, the Raiders had the luxury for Carr and made the playoffs with him on a rookie salary cap and then had to pay him. And then I didn't, uh, clearly, you guys all know where I stand, didn't need to trade Mac, but that was how they justified it. So I, I do think, I don't like, or I don't mind where this idea is going. My idea was just removing it from the salary cap so just your quarterback doesn't count. But there does need to be some accountability. Like, in business, the numbers, especially in a league, and that's what this is, a league, that there has to be some sort of way to make things fair. So I I like that. You know, maybe pick a percentage. I don't know if 50% is the right one, but I I, I like accrediting a a certain percentage for sure. Maybe 35, maybe a little less than 50. Uh, And But the problem then they would argue is the salary cap would come down. So I, I do think it's pretty complicated because for every J.J. Watt and Khalil Mack and you know, Mike Evans that are worth paying, a lot of guys aren't necessarily worth paying. And when I say worth paying, I'm talking like big money. So I, I, I do think that the quarterback salaries, this next CBA, a lot of things are going to come up this next CBA, but the, the quarterback salaries for sure. Mailbag, what are your thoughts after the Vikings let go, flip, and turn around and crush the Dolphins? This is a couple weeks old. Uh, I think I've talked about it. Uh, you know, just for whatever reason, the two didn't mix. They didn't mix. Uh, Personality-wise, you know, Zimmer didn't like him, didn't like his style. Weird deal, bizarre deal. Uh, they, they, they better win, though, this weekend. You know, the pressure's on, Stefanski. Uh, you got over who'd they pound two weeks ago, the Miami Dolphins, and then they played the Detroit Lions, who their own coach is, as people text me in the league, a couple buddies, 
in the last week, in the last couple days on that De- Detroit Free Press article on Matt Patricia, how he does not show up to team meetings on time. Like, what a slap. When I think Matt Patricia, he looks like a slap. He coaches now like a slap. You can tell me, if all you ever tell me is how smart a guy is, yet whenever I see him, his defenses in New England were always terrible. He looks terrible. And then even now, as he has a he's a head coach of a team, and his home team thinks he's an idiot and, and thinks he's just a fraud. Like, I'm sorry. Like, it, it looks like a duck, quacks like a duck. It might just be a duck. Patricia's a fraud. So th- this win, playing the Bears, if they try, that, that would be impressive. Uh, if Stefanski is good on offense. But let, let's pump the brakes really quick. I mean, they played the gutless Lions, and they played... The Miami Dolphins, who are in shambles. So, I, we'll see. Uh, but there is no disputing. I'll say this for the Minnesota Vikings. Talent on their team is big time. If Cousins just play solid, the two receivers are sweet. The tight end is a force. Running back, Cook, is awesome. Latavius is a good backup. Their defense is excellent. I, you know, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be thrilled to play them in the playoffs. I, I don't know much about Stefanski, beside when I lived in Philadelphia, his... I think his dad was the president of the Philadelphia 76ers. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'll give them their due. Their, their team is talented for sure. Okay, it was a podcast about two or three months ago, give or take, where you were ripping the GM uh, of the Colts for drafting two offensive linemen with their first two picks, saying you believe they should have drafted a skill player that could help Andrew Luck. Do you still feel the same way? that you did that the O-line with the Colts is playing great. The two rookies and the two picks in particular who would have chose instead to help Andrew Luck since you felt so passionate about the GM making the worst decision. What's your list of the top three GMs this year? Good question. I'll say this. My big beef, I don't remember exactly what I said. I I talk a lot and my my memory as I've gotten older is terrible. But I I hated the Quentin Nelson pick. Despised it. I did not believe in taking a guard that high. Now, I I never argued that Quentin Nelson wasn't a badass college player and a great NFL prospect. Not shocked to see him balling. I wouldn't have taken him. My big argument, and it doesn't it doesn't really hold up now because of the way this all transpired, was I I kept thinking, how do you pass on Roquan Smith? How do you pass on Roquan Smith? And Roquan Smith has gone to the Bears, led them in tackles, and looks like a future star. The thing I didn't know, and here's where I'll tip my uh, hat to Chris Ballard. Quentin Nelson, bald. All-rookie, Pro Bowl-level player. He got Darius Leonard. I I don't follow, where do you go, like South Carolina State. He's some small school. I didn't know much about this guy. A couple buddies I texted in the league. Didn't like him that much in the draft. He's been phenomenal. Like, he's been (laughs) Roquan Smith. So if you told me, well, you're going to get Roquan Smith in the second round, you can take this guy in the first round, like I'm not going to play Monday morning quarterback now that I have the information, but it looks pretty good, you know? Chris Ballard, all my guys in Kansas City, uh, Veach, Andy, I know Nagy, they love him. I I think highly of him. I disagreed with the strategy. I would not have done it. That might say why I'm sitting here. Now, there is no argument now looking back. I did get, you have this quarterback, that had been injured so many times, they could not keep him erect. He was your franchise. Maybe I should not have been, you know, so stubborn in my thinking. Uh, but but I also think, to me, the game changer of this whole argument is my, my big issue with Quentin Nelson really was Roquan Smith. Well, I didn't know really who Darius Leonard was. 
and now everyone knows who he is. He's a badass. I mean, he's a he's a dominant force. So if you get, you know, Darius Leonard or Bobby Wagner or whatever in the second round, you can take guards in the first round. You know, just the way it works. So if I had to go top three GMs in the league, uh, I would say Belichick. Uh, he's earned it. I know they're down year this year, but I mean, Belichick to me is always a top three GM. I I think Chris Ballard. You know, he has a short tenure here, but to to pivot as fast as he did, you know, to react as fast as he did when the craziest situation I think we've seen in recent memory in pro sports with Josh McDaniels leaving him at the altar. I mean, that was crazy. In a day and age where we overreact to a lot of things on social media and say things are crazy, like that was legitimately nuts. That, that was wild. That, that was nuts. And he reacted pretty well, man. And he got a little lucky. You know, Frank Reich was just, there was just a guy there available, but he interviewed him and then he hired him. And he's been awesome. And his draft's been really good. They did a good job with Andrew Luck the last year, not playing him. Uh, and, and then, you know, rehabbing him. Now, part of that might have been his, you know, his injury from the uh, snowboarding accident, but. Yeah, he's, he's really good. And then, you know, I mean, Howie's resume speaks for itself. The last couple of years in Philadelphia, uh, I, I'm biased. But, you know, I've, I've seen this guy's work since I work with him. I think Brett Veach is excellent. I mean, look at the roster that, you know, and, and John Dorsey's right there. Like, John just gets it. I it, To me, top three GMs are really hard because it fluctuates every year by how teams are doing. I mean, look at John Schneider. You know how good, like, John Schneider is viewed around NFL circles? Like, he, he's really, really good. Uh, so, you know, I, I think there's probably guys I'm leaving out. Say, say this, you can rip on them all you want and make fun of them. Jerry Jones drafts pretty well, <laughs> you know, start going around their roster. Dak Prescott draft pick, all of the offensive linemen, a couple of them are hurt now, draft picks, Jalen Smith draft pick, Van Der Esch draft pick, Demarcus Lawrence draft pick, uh, Amari Cooper traded a draft pick for, <laughs> you know, Cole Beasley draft pick, like all their, did I say Zeke Elliott? You ever heard of him? Draft pick. I mean, all these guys draft picks. So, all, all their DBs, you know, draft picks. He's hired Step with Garrett. They hire good assistant coaches. Like, J- Jerry Jones, do not sleep on Jera. He, uh, pretty good GM. A top three, I don't know, but he's definitely top ten. John Gruden, not top three. Let me see if I can get one more here. The Wi-Fi is not working. Nothing worse in uh, for a millennial than slow Wi-Fi. Uh, hey, John, big fan from New Zealand. I've been in New Zealand. Firstly, have you had any exposure to rugby, rugby league? If so, what were your thoughts? My college roommates at Cal Poly all played on the rugby team. So, yeah, I've been to a bunch of rugby games. and I, I mean, I loosely know the sports. One of my good buddy, uh, his all three of his younger brothers played rugby at Cal, which led by Jack Clark is, you know, historically that might be a little strong. I don't know all the historic American rugby, but they, they are, have been consistently the best program for a long time. Jack Clark just runs like the Alabama of rugby. Now, how many elite rugby programs are there in college? Not that many, but it's the cream of the crop. And his actually one of his brothers plays in Europe. So I, I got a pretty good idea. My main question is this. It may seem like an easy answer, but I'd like an NFL perspective to contrast in my rugby perspective. 
What is the point in allowing players of other sports, rugby specifically, to try out for the NFL? With the recent wave, I like where this is going. With the recent wave of players attempting a transition, I struggle to see any upside for either the player or the team. In my opinion, they can take valuable time and education away from the players coming out of college who would have been playing the sport their whole life. I, I just think they, they view some of these guys and having been in a scouting department, like when you see elite athleticism, you know, you may see it in a rugby player that you might be hard to find. And here's the other thing, like you only get, you don't have, you can't an unlimited amount of players. Like in the draft, you only have six or seven draft picks. And then you get, you know, five or six free agents in after the draft. And even in free agency, you only get what you're willing to buy. And even then, you have to compete with against other teams. If I'm working out, what was the guy's name? I, I forget the guy's name. The dude for the 49ers that, that, that made the team and returned some punts. Uh, and ultimately, the game was, he was just too new to the game. And I, I think he's a great rugby player. But it, it completely made sense to me why he was doing it. And again, I remember going to practice like he stood out. What God, what was his name? I don't want to look it up because I lose my train of thought. But I, I do get it. And these guys, I, I'm pretty sure, didn't the Eagles just sign one? He made the team. So athletes are athletes, man. And the one thing about football, like unlike basketball, you know, the average height in the NBA is 6'8". The average height in the NBA is 6'8". I think I looked up one time, like less than 1% of the world population is above 6'4". So the percentage chance of just making the NBA, you have to be an outlier human. Like in football, you obviously have to be an outlier athlete relative to most of the population, but short people make it, fat people make it, skinny people make it, strong people make it, like all different shapes and sizes. Now, most NBA players are pretty big, but if you've, I Listen, I worked in the NFL for a coach that wasn't that big on size and speed. Look at the Chiefs now. I mean, their best player is tiny. And he doesn't care. We had Deshaun. He was tiny. Now, again, they have an elite attribute. But, like, you can make it in the NFL without being, like, I'm watching an NBA game right now in the background. Draymond Green is a tiny power forward slash center. I, I've walked by Draymond Green. He's still 6'7", you know? I mean, Steph Curry is the shortest guy in the Warriors. He's six foot three. He's like as tall as Khalil Mack, and he's a midget for NBA standards. I mean, Clay Thompson is six eight. Kevin Durant seven feet tall. Their backup point guard is seven feet. Like in football, if I find a guy that played rugby that's a great athlete that's six one two twenty five, hell, he might just be able to play special teams. And there are, you know, a decent amount of people that are 6'1", 225, probably playing rugby. I, I just think there are a lot of people with the prototypical body types that you can kind of see, like, maybe this guy could play tight end. Maybe he could play linebacker. Maybe he could just run down and tackle and play special teams. Because the one thing you do in rugby is you open field tackle. And anyone that's ever just played, like, even if you've never played tackle football in your life, if you've played flag football, you know how hard it is with a guy with speed, with a ball in his hand, just a touch. Like it's, I, I don't think most people realize how hard it is to make an open field tackle in like high school, let alone Division One football, let alone the NFL. So I think it has to do with there's just a lot of similar body types that the NFL is looking for that you can find in the sport of rugby. 
I've always liked the sport of rugby, and I always contend, and I'm adamant about this, if we really tried, if our best players played rugby, like, you know, Odell Beckham, and you just go through the list of sweet NFL players, we would be so damn good. I, I've always wished that, you know, I mean, I haven't wished that much, but, I, you know, I, I've, I'm pretty confident that if our sweet, sweet players played rugby, we would kick some ass uh, as the U.S. of A. Uh, well, enjoy the weekend. Enjoy these college football games. The, the NFL slate, I mean, there's a couple interesting games, obviously, with Minnesota and Philly and then Baltimore Pitt. And uh, that's pretty much pretty much it, you know. I mean, the Baltimore Pitt is really the big wild card and then obviously the Sunday night game. Hopefully Mariota plays. Uh, but enjoy the weekend, and, and thanks again for listening. Talk to you guys soon. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.